welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. Native moms all over the country will enjoy pampering, gifts, and attention from their family this Mother's Day. Many stepmothers will be among them. They are the ones who take on the responsibilities of parenting their partner's children. Some of them will have to share this Mother's Day with their kids' biological moms. Today we'll talk to stepmoms about what it takes to be successful in their unique parenting role, what some of the pitfalls are, and how they got such a bad rap in so many Disney movies. We're back right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A federal commission held a hearing this week in northern Arizona as part of a national effort to address missing and murdered indigenous people. Arizona Public Radio's Ryan Heinches reports. The Not Invisible Act Commission met near Flagstaff for the third in a series of hearings throughout the U.S. Members were appointed by the Departments of the Interior and Justice. They heard emotional testimony from family members of missing and murdered indigenous people, along with tribal law enforcement and victim and family service providers. Navajo Nation Council Delegate Amber Canis-Bakrati is a member of the commission. What I want to see from the commission is federal partners either recognize that they play a part in this or to provide that funding so the nations can do that work themselves. The commission heard recommendations for how to better coordinate responses to missing persons cases and provide better communication and funding for family and victim assistance on tribal lands. Those who testified also called for more accountability of public officials in solving missing persons and murder cases. The 2019 Not Invisible Act was sponsored by then-Representative Deb Holland, who now serves as Interior Secretary. The commission will develop recommendations and submit a report to Holland, Attorney General Merrick Garland, and Congress. For National Native News, I'm Ryan Heinches in Flagstaff. More mines are being proposed in the western U.S. to provide metals for the expected growth in electric vehicles. Also for large storage batteries, for power generation, and other high-tech products aimed at reducing climate change. The Nez Perce tribe is worried about one of those mines proposed for central Idaho. Chuck Kornbach of Station WUWM reports. Perpetua Resources wants to develop an open-pit gold and antimony mine at a former mining site near a fork of the Salmon River. Antimony is used in solar panels and is expected to have a big future in battery storage units near solar and wind farms. Perpetua spokesperson McKinsey Lyon says what her company calls the Stibnite Project would be a source of metals now often brought in from overseas. The most important thing we can do is bring mineral production home. Because when it is home, they are impacts that we can control here, we can regulate, moderate, and have oversight of. But environmental groups are raising concerns about the Stibnite proposal. So is the Nez Perce tribe, as the tribe has treaty-reserved rights and natural resources, cultural resources, and sacred sites in the area. Shannon Wheeler is tribal vice chairman. Tatsbewi, uh, good morning to everyone. Uh, appreciate you being here. Wheeler recently met with about 50 members of the Society of Environmental Journalists to talk about his concerns with the Stibnite project, the main one being the fate of endangered salmon that return from the Pacific Ocean to Idaho waters to spawn. Generally, they're five-year-old fish that are coming back to that area, 
And so it's uh, truly important that we keep that water as clean and cold and as fresh as possible for them because, you know, they, they have a gauntlet to go through. They have dams, reservoirs, predation. Perpetua hopes to be granted a mining permit in the next year or so and open the Stibnite mine within four years. I'm Chuck Kornbach. The Federation of Sovereign Indian Nations is calling for cultural sensitivity training in all areas of sports after an ESPN broadcaster mocked an indigenous hockey player's name. Anchor John Anderson compared Zach Whitecloud's name to toilet paper Monday night, then later apologized to the Golden Knights player. First Nations leaders applauded the apology but said the training is needed. Whitecloud accepted the apology, telling reporters he's proud of his culture and that this is something the anchor and others can learn from. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy sitting in for Sean Spruce. Movies often cast stepmothers as the conflict characters. They're unwelcome intruder intruders into a happy family situation. And in the case of Disney movies, they're often the villains. The reality is, taking on a step-parent role might be a tough situation, but it very often results in meaningful, familial, and emotional bonds for parents and children alike. In this hour, we're focusing on the stepmothers and talking with a couple of them about the process of developing that bond. You can join the conversation too. Are you a stepmama? What did it take for you and, and your children to warm up to each other? Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. Do you want to tell your stepmother Happy Mother's Day? Again, that's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us from Guerneville, California is Dr. Roger Kuhn. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist and a college professor of American Indian Studies at San Francisco State University. He's Porch Band Creek Indians, uh, Porch Band uh, Creek Indians. Um, uh, welcome to Native America Calling, Roger. Thank you, Greetings, Andy. Great to be here again. Thank you for having me. 
Yeah, definitely. It's been a while since we had you on. Um, but this time, of course, talking about uh, stepmothers. And I just want to, uh, uh, you know, lay down a little, um, uh, you know, a little of the groundwork here and, and uh, talk about some of the circumstances of uh, some of these relationships and how they come about. Um, can you can you kind of go through some of the circumstances of uh, these relationships and and why we have um, a blended family with a, a stepmother sometimes in the middle of everything. Sure. You know, uh, what, what I was thinking about before our call today is all the many different ways in which someone could become a step-parent. And that could be because um, there was a divorce um, in the relationship or, you know, a separation of some kind. People don't necessarily have to be married. Uh, there could be a, a tragic um Thing that happened to the, the mother. She could have passed away. There could have been a chronic illness. Many different ways in which someone can become a step-parent. And I think if you're coming into that role, if you're stepping into that role, to understand the circumstances as to how you got there is very, very important uh, in terms of being able to bond better with that particular child. And also recognizing that the child likely has um, or likely had a particular attachment style with that parent. That could have been a secure attachment or it could have also been an anxious and or an avoidant attachment style with that parent. So you may be stepping into a role where a child has a very complex relationship already with parenting, with authority, et cetera, and to be as mindful as you possibly can, to be as aware as you possibly can of the situation in which you now find yourself in. All right. And, um, you know, sometimes that might mean uh, really helping a child through some trauma and helping a child through the whole situation of, um, you know, the, a separation. Um, how, how would uh, adults and, uh, you know, including the stepmother, go about being, um, you know, a gentle caretaker and, um, you know, really helping that child through some of the, the trauma if it's a situation? where there's a maybe a bitter divorce or maybe the the mom has has died sure you know and I think this is this as a matter of um, one thing that we haven't talked about yet is um, someone can become a step parent and also bring their children into a relationship as well um, so now we can also talk about like blended families that could also be challenging for um, uh, children as well. Uh, I, I, of course, am a, am a therapist, so I'm a big proponent for uh, using therapy as a tool for healing, in particular working with an indigenous therapist um, or somebody who's specifically trained in working with Native American people. I think it's really important because, of course, we have different understandings of family, kinship systems, um, spiritual, religious beliefs, etc., uh, that maybe uh, differ from Western approaches to psychotherapy and treatment in that regard. And to be aware that um, if the child is experiencing any kind of trauma from, uh, it could be a contentious uh, divorce or contentious separation of some kind, it could be, again, uh, the trauma of, of losing one of the parents, uh, to really meet that child where they are. Um, and perhaps that means to offer the child to, uh, to be in individual therapy. Play therapy can be incredibly healing. Art therapy can be incredibly healing for young children. And also maybe there needs to be some kind of family therapy. Um, oftentimes uh, Indian Health Service Clinics, IHS clinics might have 
uh, therapist available for your children to talk to or for you as the step parent to talk to or your family to talk to. So you may want to check with your um, resources, whether in your urban location, uh, Native American Health Centers, or if you're on a reservation or reserve-based system to see what may be available to you in that regard. I always also, also like to think it's important to um, really get curious about what brings that child joy. And if there's a way in which uh, you're going to bond with that child, likely it is going to be helping them continue to celebrate the things that bring them joy um, and prioritizing that in their life and, and letting the child know that you are there to support them, that you are there to care for them. And what you are wanting to do is to uh, pass on the love that you have for that child, a father in this example, onto that child as well. So they feel included in the relationship as much as possible. So they don't see dad's new relationship as completely separate from them. Rather, dad is inviting this new person into the home who then is inviting the child into that relationship as well, with, of course, boundaries um, uh, in, in place as well. But it makes the child feel included in the process as opposed to this is the situation, this is the new uh, co-parent or the step-parent in the house, and you're going to start abiding by this person's rules. The child should be invited into the process as early as possible to mitigate any particular uh, challenges, um, pushbacks, a child that might um, might have any, any particular kind of behavioral problems, to invite them into the process as early as they can so that they can really feel, I am welcome in this family and I want to welcome this new love into my life as well. Got it. All right. Um, Dr. Roger Kuhn is going to be with us throughout the hour here. Um, but I want to introduce another uh, guest we have today from uh, Port Hunimi, California, is Rebecca uh, Sparadlin. She works in media. Uh, she's a student and a stepmother. She is a Prairie Band of Potawatomi. Welcome to Native America Calling, Rebecca Hi, bojo bojo ginwa wawe gishko kwe ndejnaka. Bode wad mindao, meshkodenek in bendagwez. I said my name is Chico Sky Woman. I uh, am Prairie Van Padawatomi, and I come from uh, Bode Wad, I'm uh, Anishinaabe. So, um <laughs> All thank right. you for having me. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you for for coming on the show. Uh, so tell us, tell us how many stepchildren you have. Okay, so um, I have one stepson. He is twenty. He's turning twenty three this year, and I have been in his life since he was ten, turning eleven. So <clears throat> yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what was it like for you, um, you know, coming into the family and, uh, you know, developing that relationship with uh, your stepson? Yeah. So um, for me, just with a little bit of background for context, I came from a very broken family where my parents separated. There was a lot of tr uh, trauma and drama. Um, mother is not Native American. Father is full-blooded. So we had a lot of uh, reconciliation to do with our people once we were old enough to come back into um, our family from my father's side. So we already had um, the issues. So when I, I um, also was a traffic young woman. So when I was 13, I was told there's a chance I may never have children. So I knew from my youngest years, I may never be a mom. I could only be a stepmom. And so when I met my now husband, um, 
he uh, had a very non-existent relationship with his son. Um, they couldn't talk on the phone for more than like 10 minutes. He didn't know what to ask him. Um, they didn't have any kind of relationship. They didn't have a rapport. So for me, it was very important because of how many step-parents I had and, and how many people I had in my life that were phenomenal. I had a phenomenal stepmother and a phenomenal stepfather. And so I was very lucky to have very um, educated and um, adult responses to how to navigate being a step-parent. So um, just like the doctor was talking about, we did everything. When we, um, when we came to California to get 50-50 custody, we did, you know, confrontational uh, conversations and anger management. We talked about this a little bit yesterday, you know, co-parenting classes, everything. But for me, um, as I said, you know, when you were talking about movies, I know we talked about stepmother. I don't know how many people have seen that stepmom with mm -hmm. uh, Susan Sarandon and um, uh, Julia Roberts, Julia how they make it look at this romantic movement between these women where they go from arch enemies to the wicked stepmother becomes her friend. And so I said, oh, I'm going to do that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's how our family's going to be. And it's going to be great. Yeah. And it never happened. <laughs> and so it was like the reality of that was heartbreaking a lot. So mm -hmm. if I knew a little bit more now, I would know, like you said, meet the entire family where they are and know that that's where they are instead of making judgment. Uh, I would have done a lot less of that. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But coming in, it was very difficult. It was it was a hard transition. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, we're we're going to go to break in just a little bit here, but um, to the listening audience, uh, we want you to join the conversation too. Tell us about the stepmother in your family and how that relationship uh, uh, changed and evolved over time. Um, tell us about uh, your um, your uh, your new role as a stepmother, if you're a stepmother. Uh, we're at 1-800-996 2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We'll be back after this break. Peggy Berryhill began her radio career covering Native issues at the famed station KPFA in Berkeley, California in 1973. Fifty years later, she is still on the air and has helped grow Native stations and Native talent for all that time. We'll hear from Peggy Berryhill about her career and mission to create a forum for Native voices on the next Native America Calling. East taught now an hour can now on healthcare resources acted on Yante has not do. As that I you and Ganyan and this don't go dot CMS dot gov slash women's health checklist to now I do. Look here, centers for Medicare and Medicaid services don't now pen and need to look in our way. Elaqua. This is Native America calling. I'm Andy Murphy. And it's almost Mother's Day. So today we're talking about stepmothers. What was your relationship like with your stepmother? 
if you have stepchildren, give us some advice about becoming part of the family and becoming a parental figure to your stepchildren. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. I want to go back to uh, Rebecca Spradlin. Uh, she works in media. She's a student and a stepmother uh, from Prairie Band, uh, Prairie Band of Potawatomi. Um, Rebecca, what was that first Mother's Day like? Um, you know, were, were you able to, you know, spend Mother's Day with your stepson or was that, uh, you know, a day for the, the biological mom? Yeah, absolutely not. That was never, um, <laughs> I was never celebrated as a mother, as a stepmother. I was never celebrated. Um, and that, uh, I guess it wasn't until, like I told you, my, um, uh, cousin had tagged me in this and I was like, I can't believe that I needed that recognition, you know, and I kind of shed a little tear because I didn't realize that I was doing for him what was necessary, but not thinking about what was necessary for me, you know, and so I know I made a joke that I had 100% of the blame and 0% of the credit. <laughs> um, so, you know, to be fair, I was a, a child that had a little bit of trouble. You know, I got into trouble as an adult. I pretty much loaded a shotgun and handed it to her. And as a parent um, and with my family, like having grandnieces and nephews now, I know how she felt. She was trying to protect her child from whom she thought could be a dangerous entity. And she had no reason to not think that. Um, <clears throat> so I was basically kind of put on trial mm. um, when we went to family court. Um I mean, I, and when I say put on trial, I was I was put on trial for three days. I was up on the stand having to explain my life and my trauma and what's happened to me. And, I mean, she brought up everything, being trafficked, being in foster homes, being emancipated. I mean, everything in my life. And we didn't have legal help, so I just had to take it and kind of just try and infiltrate. So for me, the most important thing was making sure he knew that was his mom. I am not your mom. I am another person here for you. Um, so we never acknowledged my motherhood at all or, mm -hmm. or me being a mother. Never. Um, as, a, as a matter of fact, we always went overboard with him to help him get stuff for mom because we didn't want an already toxic situation for him to know how we felt about her in the situation. We didn't talk about her in front of him, et cetera, you know. Right. Right. So so it sounds like the relationship between uh, the biological mother, yourself and your partner is not a very is not a very good one. How, how, how have you guys kind of navigated that all this time? It has been uh, <clears throat> um, toxic and a lot of empathy for me um, as a person, you know, with all the trauma that I've survived and with all the stuff I was carrying, um, in hindsight, I realized we did give uh, my my son or our, our son too much leeway in making decisions on what, you know, our lives were going to be. Um, we did introduce me right away. Uh, before we even left Wisconsin, I sent him a, a letter telling him to, who I was at the time. I was 28, explaining who I was to him, telling him, you know, what I looked like, sent a picture. We started talking on the telephone, you know, for just a couple of minutes at a time. I sent my, uh, letters to the stepfather, stepmother, and grandparents, um, and she just wasn't having it. So, I mean, 
from the very start, it was just like, that's, that's the enemy now, and let's get her since we can't get my husband, my ex-husband. So it was, it was hard um, mm-hmm. because, like I said, it, it's definitely that um, wicked stepmother going in, you know, kind of mm-hmm. attitude people have that, you know, I have the cliche of being a younger woman, no children, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No baggage, no, and now she's, you know, losing her ex-husband and her child, she felt like to me. So it was rough. A lot of police, a lot of police, a lot of unnecessary police, actually, because there was never any altercation. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Um, uh, So, so, you know, but the the relationship between you and your your stepson has been um, has been okay. How, How did the relationship change over the years? So with my stepson, it was always good. Um, as I said before, he really, and since then, he has stayed in touch with me. His dad and him are kind of fighting right now. But um, he's like, you were, the, you were the sane one, you know. And I remembered when we were taking classes um, and doing all the therapy. I've been in therapy since I was probably 11. But, um, you know, my husband had no concept of that. And therapy was weak. And it made you, you know... Uh, it meant you, something's wrong with you, and, and medication is bad. But my husband did 24 years in the service, so he suffers from such chronic PTSD that there was this disconnect, you know. Mm. So it was having to change the idea of um, with Indigenous people to see a counselor, you know what I mean, with my own family. Mm. Then changing instead of just going to sweat or, you know, talking to our people, which I still do, of course. But um, I knew we needed more. And for me, like I said, the most important relationship was mine with uh, Bruce Jr. He's a junior, so Mm -hmm. little Bruce. Um, (laughs) That was the most important thing, you know. So it was just like he was saying, finding out what he liked to do, finding out what his triggers were. His mother was very emotionally abusive. And one thing that she had mentioned about him, well, you have boobs like your father. Neither one of them does. But he was so... You know, at 11, 10 and 11 years old, hearing that, he was so traumatized by that, he didn't want to do anything. So I said, well, let's work out together, you know. So giving him the confidence and always pouring into him, I knew that even if it didn't result in us having a good relationship, it resulted in me knowing I did what I had to. Mm-hmm. It, it left me without feeling like, you know, oh, you were bitter when you did that. You shouldn't have done that to him or You know, Mm -hmm. you are just mad at his mom. You shouldn't have been that way. You know, so it was just really having to constantly tell myself, like, well, these are kind of, you know, not mentally healthy people. So Mm -hmm. I I can't judge that path because I wasn't always a mentally healthy person. All right. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, Let's actually go to a caller. We have uh, Julie in Albuquerque, New Mexico, listening on KUNM. Hey, Julie, go ahead. Hi, my name is Julie, and I'm a stepmother. Um, And I had two suggestions you had offered. You said are their suggestions. So Mm -hmm. my daughters, their mom died when they were four and six, and I came into their life maybe two years after that. And for me, the big piece was always acknowledging their birth mom. Whenever we had conversations or how proud their birth mom would be, it was really important to say that. And because I was in a blended household where it was a mixed-race household as well, that was white, and my children are of Filipino descent, Mm -hmm. whenever we'd go to a store, 
um, you know, cashier register might say to my daughters, may I help you? And I taught them to say, you know, no, thank you. We are with our mother. And so just ways to connect the kids so that they feel welcomed and appreciated and part of the household. So those are my couple suggestions. <laughs> All right, cool. Thank you so much for that, Julie. Uh, you're welcome to join the conversation too. You have any uh, suggestions about smoothing out that stepmother, step, uh, uh, stepchildren relationship? Give us a call. We're at 1-800-996-2848. I want to go back to uh, Roger Kuhn, licensed marriage and uh, family therapist. Um, Roger, we we just heard from uh, Rebecca about, uh, you know, her situation and how she's had to navigate um, some toxicity. Uh, You know, what would your what would your suggestion be for um, for women, you know, who are coming into that situation as a stepmother and there's some toxicity there's walls being put up there's um you know it feels like they're they're, they might be getting attacked by everybody maybe even the grandparents don't like her and what's your what's your advice to you know navigating that kind of space as a as a as a woman as a new stepmom i want to start by saying i heard your story rebecca and my heart goes out to you uh that sounds incredibly challenging and kudos to you for prioritizing um, the child in the situation. Uh, What I also really appreciated about Rebecca shared was that Rebecca kind of came into the situation recognizing that um, in some circles, stepmothers are vilified. They are automatically uh, cast as the the shadow, as the, the bad person. And to sort of have that understanding of what you might be stepping into just from like a cultural expectation of the role of stepmother, I think can be really important. Anytime there's contention uh, between um, families, right? It's really recognizing like, what are you available for? Are you available to be that target? Are you available to sort of uh, take on the vitriol of whatever may be going on between um, the parents and you're stepping into that situation? Uh, it is so incredibly important to have your support system in place as much as you possibly can. That can include your family members. That in, can include, uh, as we both Rebecca and I mentioned earlier, a therapist. Um, having those also those practices that you might engage with, um, such as doing sweat, such as prayer, such as songs, ceremony, dances, et cetera, are all the ways in which you can help regulate your own system so that you don't become too overwhelmed by what this is, by what's happening to you. Um, And it's also really important to have that conversation with your new partner. Uh, That's what it is after all. You are in a partnership now, and your your partner needs to be on board with helping you, helping you navigate the situation. If if they are leaving you all alone to fend for yourself in this sort of toxic buildup that you may be experiencing, I would call that a red flag. I would sort of say, huh. How is this being perpetuated maybe from the former relationship? Maybe there's something in this relationship I'm unaware of. And you need to have that conversation with your partner because you do not want to feel even more excluded. So now you're being ostracized by the mother. You could be being ostracized by your partner. Have that discussion. This is something that you are stepping into in partnership. This has to be a dual role together. Um, so having, those, having that support system in place, knowing your own boundaries and limitations is incredibly helpful here. Not being afraid to ask for help when you need it. And of course, coming into the situation with as much understanding 
with as much empathy as you possibly can, recognizing that for a lot of people, uh, separation, divorce, all of these things are incredibly traumatic experiences. So you're stepping into trauma, and you may be even bringing your own trauma into the situation. So how much can we be aware of the pain that's present? And again, finding ways to make sure that that child or those children are, are safe, are being protected, that their needs are being met. So they don't have to watch another set of parents go through what their parents went before. Mm, got it. All right, we have a caller on the line, uh, PJ in Idaho Falls, Idaho on KISU. Uh, PJ, go ahead. Second, my stupid. All right. Are you there? PJ, can you hear yeah, me? yeah, we can hear you. Go ahead. Okay, um, I am a stepmother, and I think the biggest turnaround for us came when we acknowledge that the children's mother was a very good mother. And even though the parents had divorced, you know, we appreciated her hard work and that we truly understood that she loved her children. And that just kind of set us up for a lifetime of, you know, a family, a more extended family that we, sh we share today. And it's been 34 years and we see each other at, graduations and births and it's just uh we're not best friends by any stretch but we do respect one another and that has helped our children awesome all right thank you for that pj uh, again, you can uh, join our conversation. We're talking about stepmothers today. 1-800-996-2848. That is also 1-800-99-NATIVE. I want to go over to Alberta, Canada. Uh, we have Paula uh, Jefferson with us. She's a small business owner, a wife, and a stepmother. She is from the Sans Samson Cree Nation. Welcome to Native America Calling, Paula. Hello. Hello. Uh, so, so tell me about um, you know y your situation. Uh, you have five stepchildren. Is that right? Yes, yes I do. All right. What was that um, uh, relationship like in the beginning? H how was it like for you to come into uh, this this situation? And you know, from a single mother, uh, for, I mean, for, sorry, from a single uh, person to one with five five children. <laughs> How I, how I see it for myself, I went from 30, 32 and single, that's how, the age I was when I met my husband, to now 32 and, and five, five stepchildren and two little ones. Yeah. He has two granddaughters. So I, I basically, because I'm the oldest of four, I helped my mom raise my brother. So I, I was able to fit into that role right away, taking on the responsibility. But it did come with some stress, obviously it did. Um, my, my partner and I, like his ex-wife, were really good friends. He's got four from his previous relationship, his, his marriage, and then he's got one with a previous partner. The four that he, he has with Aaron, we have amazing, like, we're best friends. I love Aaron with all my heart. The other partner, she made it hell for me to fit into the relationship. Mm. All right. She made her daughter alienate me in the very beginning. She never really got to, to know me. She just seemed like she put that she's an evil stepmother cast on me. Oh, no. 
So you got to um, experience uh, both uh, sides of uh, being a stepmother, being the evil stepmother, and then, you know, coming in as kind of like that best friend and, and your uh, stepchildren's bonus mom. <laughs> um, yes, exactly. Yeah. So so how has, uh, how has Mother's Day been? Is it just a, a, a big, um, you know, party for everybody? What, what's Mother's Day like for you guys? It's it's been really great because my my birthdays are on the same time, so it's we celebrate my birthday along with Mother's Day, and I always give a gift to Erin. She always gives something to me. We just have that like that bond in the blended relationship. Like we get along very well. It's never been awkward for me, honestly. It's been it's been great. Oh, nice. Oops, it uh, sounds like we're uh, heading into a dead zone or something like that. Uh, Paula, I have a, one more question for you. What would your advice be to other women who are uh, maybe in the same situation? They're single and then they're kind of looking at maybe, um, you know, having a, ch- having a family with, uh, you know, five, five kids suddenly. <laughs> You basically have to look at the bigger picture and you just have to think, okay, am I going to jump in head first? Am I going to drown? You just got to take it all all in and make sure that, like, like I look at my partner right now. We, could, we got married in February of this year. We've been together for five years. And looking at him, I, he was worth it. Mm-hmm. To make sure that your partner is worth to take on that responsibility. It comes with a lot of, like, nails. It comes with a lot of, like, it does come with a lot of trauma and it does come with a lot of stress, but you have to take it with a grain of salt mm-hmm. because like technically you, 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 you can take it like your strength and walk away. But when you love somebody, like I fell in love with his kids, okay. I fell in love with his granddaughters. Sorry about that. We're, we're going to take a break. We'll be back with Paula right after this. Are you the digital media specialist that Vision Maker Media is looking for? The Digital Media Specialist implements Vision Maker Media's public relations strategies and deploys successful digital media campaigns that align with Vision Maker Media's mission and vision. Information on required qualifications and how to apply at visionmakermedia.org. Vision Maker Media supports this show. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. They're a bonus parent in the family, and sometimes the women who step in to take over the full-time job as a mother to the children of their partners. We're taking time today to recognize our Native stepmothers, and there's still time for you to join. Would you like to recognize the stepmother in your blended family? We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. I want to go back to uh, Paula Jefferson over in uh, Masquichis in Alberta, Canada. Um, uh, Paula, you were just talking about... Uh, oops, uh, we lost Paula here. Um, we'll uh, head on over to a caller. We have Nicole in Gallup, New Mexico, listening on a KGLP. Hey, go ahead, Nicole. Hey, Native American calling. Good morning this morning. Uh, I just like to say that, you know, being a mother is very difficult. And then to add the step onto being a mother is also very challenging. And so with my big step family, you know, I've always encouraged my whole family not to refer to my husband as a stepfather, you know, stepdad, uh, stepmother, stepdaughter, stepson. 
it just it just brings a negative connotation and negative stigmatism to you know already challenging fights. And um, I just want to say that uh, I don't know if we could find a very beautiful native. I know in Navajo I would say the um, which means strong, you know, and I, I prefer that. Maybe we need to have strong parents. All right, got that. Uh, let's go over to Tim in Eastern Idaho, listening on KISU. Hey, Tim, go ahead. Hello. Um, about uh, 20 years ago, I met and fell in love with a single mother of a 12-year-old daughter. And at first, the daughter was a little resentful of me for taking time away from her and her mother's relationship. And um, we had some friction. And I realized she needed to hear something from me. And I think this is valuable advice for all parents that are coming into a relationship where their partner has children already. What I said to my daughter was, I realize that you are always number one in your mother's life. And I am always number two. I am comfortable with being number two. And I honor the fact that you are number one in your mom's life. I will never compete with you for that. And once I said that to her and she understood really quickly, a sense of relief came over her and a sense of acceptance of me came over her. And uh, 20 years later, she is the most wonderful stepdaughter that a father could ever imagine. And I, I know that she still understands that she's number one in her mom's life. I'm number two, and it's great being number two. And I, I just think that that can relieve so much friction with step-parenting if the parent coming into the relationship, the new parent, just accepts the child comes first mm -hmm. with my partner. <laughs> Got it. All right. Thank you, Tim. Uh, let's go over to uh, Nico Williams. She's a chef and a stepmother. Uh, she's also a citizen of the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma. Welcome back to Native America Calling, Nico. Theo, Andy, Theo Nagata. Great to be here again. All right. This time we're not going to talk about food. We're going to talk about... I know. Uh, <laughs> Don't worry. I'll find about... a way to work food into it. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so um, yeah, I wanted to bring you in uh, because, you know, I follow you on social media and I see um, that, uh, you know, it looks like you have a really great relationship with your stepchildren. Uh, what was that like for you uh, going from a, uh, a, single, a single woman to, you know, coming into your partner's um, your partner's family with his children? Um, you know, I, I am very, very fortunate that it has been relatively smooth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, any kind of transition like that is always going to involve, you know, uh, I, I even kind of hesitate to say trauma, but it is because it's, you know, a major life change, you know, living as a single woman and you know, having a, a certain lifestyle and being on your own in your own space and then bringing children into that space, it is definitely an adjustment. Um, but I've been very lucky that the family that I've come into have been so very welcoming of me. And um, so just for a little background, I have four stepchildren. 
Um, I have two older stepsons and then an older stepdaughter. And then I came into uh, my younger stepdaughter's life when she was six. And her father and I got together when she was seven. So, and she's now 13. And so she's the one that, you know, has been in our home that we've been raising together um, in co-parenting with her mother. And then, you know, the boys and our other daughter are a little older, so it's kind of a different situation. But the boys have both lived with us at one time. Um, and so, you know, we've, we've kind of had that unconventional family unit going on. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I've just, I feel like, um, you know, my experience has been really good with my youngest stepdaughter, who is the one that you probably see on my social media all the time, mm -hmm. um, because we, we do have her um, – we have her during the week and she goes to her mom's house on the weekends. And so we're with her all the time. You know, we're the school parents. We, um, you know, we take her to basketball practice and she goes to powwows with us and dances. And so that was kind of my very, like my beginning of moving into that motherhood role with her was in a very, um, a cultural way, you know, all of a sudden she had, this person, me, who was the one braiding her hair and getting her dressed and, you know, taking her into the arena and dancing with her. And I think that that part of our relationship it was something that really helped us to bond early on. Um, yeah. And so that's been really helpful for us. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I know you mentioned powwow. Um, you're Cherokee and your partner is um, uh, Navajo, right? Uh, he's Ponca Oto, Iowa. Oh, okay, okay, got it, got it. So, so different tribes. Uh, uh, you know, what yes. has that been like? Uh, <laughs> what has that been like? Um, you know, sharing different uh, cultural teachings and traditions. Um, that has been a really wonderful part of um, like this kind of bonus culture that I've been able to be a part of mm -hmm. that came along with meeting him and becoming a part of his family was being adopted into Ponca and Oto ways. And, um, you know, I, I never was a powwow person before meeting him. And so that was actually one of the places where I first really felt myself falling in love with him was seeing him with his family and seeing him with his daughter at their camp and just seeing how, he treated her and how he was helping her, you know, understand and learn about their culture. And at the same time, teaching me about it, that, you know, seeing that connection that they have through that really showed me his heart. And so his, his, you know, relationship with his daughter was part of what made me love him so much is mm -hmm. just being what a wonderful father he is and wanting to be a part of uh, that, sort of relationship was so I think that was one of the reasons why we we have had such um, I, it's not an easy transition but I think a positive and healthy transition into becoming this family is that you know his his um, his fatherhood skills are you know he's a very good communicator in that way yeah 
All right. Awesome. I want to go back to uh, Dr. Roger Kuhn, licensed marriage and family therapist. Uh, Roger, you know, we're talking about um, cultural differences and, and maybe different parenting styles. Um, you know, t- uh, talk to us about uh, navigating that kind of space as a step uh, or a blended family. I so appreciate this question because uh, before I got on a call today, this is what I was thinking about. I was thinking about how uh, you know, from the outside world, we all get lumped into the same category as Native people, though what we all know is that we come from very distinct cultural groups. And so if you are stepping into a Native culture that is different from your own, and I was sort of using my own culture, say, as a Southeastern Native person versus, say, a Pacific Northwest Native person, uh, what might be the differences in terms of uh, parenting styles, in terms of how communities might collectively raise children together? So knowing the culture in which you are stepping into, I think, is really important. And I so appreciated what the last guest just said around this idea of being in uh, somewhat a a state of wonder about the culture in which you may be stepping into. Uh, So that that can help navigate any of those challenging issues as well, that if you understand, like, oh, okay, this child was raised from this particular view as a Native person to have this particular ideology, and how might I be able to learn about this particular Native culture that may be different from my own, so that I can approach it in a way, again, that is with more empathy and is more uh, bringing that child into the focus and the center here. Because ultimately, that is really what we're talking about. You know, step parenting is, is really about the child. It's about those little babies, those little kids at home who didn't ask for any of this likely, you know, for their parents to have this kind of separation. And uh, if, there, if there is these cultural differences, and also, I just want to name to not, to not make the assumption that that child was raised maybe with any of their native culture. And maybe you're, maybe you're a step parent who was raised with your native culture and you want to bring that to the child, that that could also be new for them to sort of step into the teachings of our varying communities in that particular way. All right, cool. Thank you for that, uh, Roger. Um, I want to go back to our uh, guest here. Uh, We had Paula um, Jefferson on the line. Uh, Paula, you know, before before the break, we had uh, you were talking about you know having a strong bond with your partner. Make sure, and uh, I think you said make sure you know he's worth it if you're gonna have uh, you know. if you're going to dive into a whole a whole other family uh can you expand on that uh, a little bit more uh you know what what uh, makes a good strong relationship um you know for this whole uh situation to work so with us myself and my husband Laverne is just outlining our roles and responsibilities because i know that they had um his kids had a past before with the previous partner that wasn't very good was more of it was more negative and abusive than it was happy and sunshine and rainbows. So and then there's me that came in and it was just seeing that how they were treated and knowing that I made a prophecy that every, every one of them that I wouldn't hurt them. All right. 
All right. Um, let's actually go back to uh, one of our previous guests. We had uh, Rebecca uh, Sparadlin. Uh, Rebecca, you're listening to the conversation. Uh, we heard from Nico that, uh, you know, the relationship that, you know, her and um, her husband have are, are really good. And that relationship he has with his children is actually what kind of really drew her in. Uh, we're hearing from uh, Paula that uh, their their relationship is, is pretty awesome as well. Um, do you want to expand on that and um, talk about what, what kind of, you know, relationship you have to have with a partner so that uh, you can get through, um, you know, raising stepchildren? Yeah. So, like I said, we had so we had such a benefit and we had such um we were very lucky and privileged to have the military there to give us all of the resources we needed you know with conflict resolution especially being able to communicate it was so funny when my husband and I went into the first class and I I feel this way when you do that. I was like, I feel mad because you make me angry. And we couldn't understand why. They're like, no, no, that's not. No. I'm like, but that's an I feel statement. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We actually ended up quitting the class because we were so frustrated by not understanding. But now that comes from, like, everyone has been talking about generational trauma. My husband and I had a very strong bond. However, when we met, we did not realize it was a trauma bond. And so we had so much untangling to do. We were these crab-walking, codependent humans that were trying to go back and get 50-50 custody of his son because it's what the child wanted. Was it the best thing for the child at the time? Probably not. Um, mm-hmm. We made a lot of mistakes with, like, um, giving him what he wanted and not, you know, letting him make decisions in the house because I wanted him to know he was most important. Um However, he didn't really have um, very good boundary structure with me, you know, where I learned as he got older, we needed boundaries. Um, however, that being said, like I said, my, my um, stepson knew I was the healthy parent and knew I was the one he could come to and talk to without shame, blame, judgment, being afraid. Um, and so my husband and my relationship was so strong from the beginning with the trauma bonding that once we started to heal, it was like we knew what the other person needed. We knew at the moment, I can tell by reading his signs, what he, you know, you need 10 minutes, you need to go. You know, and so his son really looked at me as a protector, mm-hmm. and he knew I could take it, as they were saying. I could, I could take the blows. You know, this isn't a new thing for me. In our family history, I was always the black sheep. And, um, uh, you know, we have that uh, duality of like the, um, what's it called, Um, lateral violence Mm -hmm. between my family and my people and some of my friends. Oh, she thinks she's better than us. She got out of the res. She got out of here. She's making money now. She's white. She's this. You know, she married my husband is Native American, but he cannot, uh, he cannot, his blood quantum isn't enough. Mm-hmm. So he has been taking on our Potawatomi, and he's very close with my uncle. And and that's a beautiful thing, too. When she was talking about, she went into um, her husband's uh, tribe, I believe is what was she had said, our last caller. Yeah. Um, but he came into our tribe. So it's really beautiful, actually. So yeah. my husband now um, and his son participate in in um spiritual stuff with me which is very cool all right 
All right, thank you so much for that, and thank you to our other guests who joined us today. We had uh, Dr. Roger Kuhn, Nico Williams, and Paula Jefferson. Uh, our executive producer is Art Hughes. The host of the show is Sean Spruce. Sol Traverso is the producer. Marino Spencer is the engineer. Joe McPollin is the digital producer. Nola Davis-Moses is the distribution director. Pa uh, Bob Peterson is the network manager for Native Voice One. Clifton Chadwick is our national underwriting sales manager. Antonia Gonzalez is the anchor of National Native News. Charles Sather is our chief operations officer, and the president and CEO of Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation is Jacqueline Salee. I'm Andy Murphy, producer and host. We'll see you next time. Challenges to societal harmony abound. Trauma, depression, addiction. In Native communities, these challenges affect nearly everyone. The Native American Social Work Studies Institute educates social workers for careers to address the needs of Native communities. You can be part of the solution as a peer support worker, community health worker, or a counselor with culturally relevant training from the Native American Social Work Studies Institute. Info at online.nmhu.edu. New Mexico Highlands University supports this show. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian Country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian Country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A M E R I N D.com. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.